everybody. Nicole Lossie here with part two of Shop Talk's deep dive into William Shakespeare featuring Zach Block, Jessica Flock, Elena Manchester, and Sean Clerkin. If you missed the first episode, jump back and check it out, or you can dive right into this one. Here we go. So I'd like to talk about some specific productions. Um, we all obviously have worked together before, and we've all been a part of Shakespeare Summer Nights over the years at different times, and and some of us have directed Shakespeare outside of Shakespeare Summer Nights as well. So I'd love for each of you to pick one Shakespeare show that you've directed and talk a little bit about where you first kind of started with that production. What is the starting point when you're going into directing that particular Shakespeare show? So the one that I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one to talk about. Um, okay, so I directed Midsummer, and um, for that one, this was for um, Shakespeare Summer Nights, right? This is for Shakespeare Summer Nights. And, um, oh, I started, I believe I started with like an overview of the language. Like, like some basic, like, here are some things you should know. Don't pause at the end of sentences unless there's punctuation. Uh, kick the box. Get your energy to the end of the line. Uh, this is iambic pentameter, but all it's really telling you is these are opportunities to stress these words. So maybe pay attention to them and find the verbs. Keep it moving forward. So I did that at first, and then I really wanted to build these two worlds. Like I kept thinking of like what is the forest, and so how did the fairy folk move? And so I, came I was just going to say, you did movement with us because I was Titania. And so, yeah. and I vividly remember you talking us through the, like, the flick and, like, whatever, all of those. We did those. The Lebon. Yeah, we yeah. did Lebon. I wanted, and we came up with a, as an ensemble, we did an exploration to kind of find where the fairy folk, using words like earthy, I wanted them to be, like, earthy, dirty, of the dirt. And I wanted the lovers to be wearing all white and then to be covered in mud and dirt and nasty sexiness by the end. Like that was, so I kind of had some images, but my big, like the thing I look for, and I think that's because I'm an actor first is the arc. Like where is the arc of the character? And I guess for me, the arc of the show, I think I'm a bit form of a formulaic person. Um, so uh, yeah, and movement. I, I always go with movement, I'm sure, and ensemble stuff. And then from there, we had fun and uh, rehearsed a lot and uh, some stage combat type of stuff. Um, I think that's it. That's the big one. And I forget who did costumes. Did I do costumes for that one? I, I think you I did. Costumes are also pretty important to me as a director. That's the one I get nitpicky on. Not so much sets. I'm like, I don't know, make it, make it look I, like two different places. I don't care how you do it. Uh, we didn't wear really masks, but we had the the fairies. We did like we painted on masks, basically. Yeah, like we had the painted tribally kind of mask for yeah. the ones that didn't also double as the rude mechanics because yeah. they didn't have the face paint. It was just like me uh, when Lauren Loop was playing Puck, uh, right. you know, Casey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Jess, what about um, you? Where do you start? Yeah. I always start, uh, I always start with the text and I'll use, uh, I'll use Richard III for my example because it was harder for me to do in Hamlet, which doesn't sound right, but it is. Um, just because I knew, I knew the beats of Hamlet more. I knew what had to stay, what, what could go. And it was a little easier to kind of trim the fat in that one because he spends much of the time moping around and repeating himself and wondering the same questions again and again. So let's talk about Richard III. 
uh, which is not a, such a well-known property, but it's like it's well-known enough that you can't get away with doing a ton of changes. I always have to start with the text because I have to get, if, get it in my head. If I want there to be a style, and in this one, we did just, it was like kind of like a 1920s, but like we didn't go over the, over the top with styling it. Um, so once I had that in mind, then I could sit down to do the edit. And doing the edit is also where I find what I want from certain characters. And like, because sometimes part of the editing process is you trim all the little ensemble roles because it's just not worth having them there. But some of them have essential content to deliver. So you have to, so I, a lot of times I'll take that chunk and just reassign it to somebody that would, it would make sense for them to have it. Um, and it's a different show, but in King Lear, there was a, there was a very important passage about a letter for a character that we cut very early on because we yeah. tried to keep that cast small and it went to, I, we gave it to Almy. I became a monologue of Almy's, uh, the, this information in this letter and it played fine. She was in playing Goneril, right? Yes, she was Goneril. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for, I always start from the text and once I start from the text, I, spend enough time with it that by the time auditions roll around, I have an idea in my head of like, okay, what do I want and who do I want? Because so, otherwise I would feel very unmoored trying to cast a show if I didn't already feel like I knew the show inside and out and kind of made it my own in a way by just doing the edit. Um, and in fact, I had somebody who came in for Richard III and did a very strong audition on that war monologue I was talking about. But, uh, when I would try, when I said, okay, we try that again, but do it differently, like just it, it wrong for the production, but let me see if you'll listen to me and work with me on it. And it was, and he was, he was stuck in the gear that he came in with. And so, you know, I, Dom didn't, and he knows this too, Dom didn't have necessarily the best audition, but he had the most flexible one. And I was like, I think you'll work with me to build what I want to happen on stage with Richard III. Like I need, I need somebody to 50, 50 this with me. So we get there because so much of the show is on his shoulders. Who's never playing that part. Everything's just rotating around him. Um, but yeah, the text, I have to start with the text. If I don't, it's very hard to get it on its feet. And then I, once, once I get past that step and I have a cast, then I kind of do what Sean does when my experience, I'm um, working with Sean where he kind of lets, and Elena does this too, I believe, you, you just kind of let, and Zach, everybody does this, I think. I stole this from all of you. Well, we let all the stole actors, it from Sean. Yeah. <laughs> you I let, stole Bill Dome, so it's, yeah. Yeah. So thank you, you Bill. You, put, you let the actors just kind of put it on its feet. And sometimes, and actually, I think Elena, you gave me the idea of the very first read-through. You put it on its feet. I don't care how you move, try to figure out how to move as you go. But, you know, we're not going to get locked into like, this is a 10th grade class and we're all reading together. And a lot of interesting things come just from the actor's instinct and you see them want to move, but you haven't told them to move. So they like step back and you're like, if you would like to walk there, you should walk. <laughs> and there's some really cool things that yield out of that process. But yeah, that's my long-winded where I start. You know, it's fascinating. Elena starts with movement and actor base. You start with text and everything. I start with, I'm a director. So I start with the audience and I always think about what's relevant. What is a, what is the story that needs to be told? Or 
because so many of our stories are archaic and they're grounded in cultures, even if they're English and American cultures, they're before this time. And so sometimes the, the way the stories and characters are presented can be offensive or challenging to a contemporary audience. But I always try to look at it in terms of what was it trying to say and what, what does it have to say to us today? And if I can't find anything that's worth saying to or hearing today, I, I, I don't do the show. Um, and so I was really interested. My very first Shakespeare was uh, Measure for Measure at Gannon. And, uh, and I was fascinated with the, ideal, the idea of false piety. Somebody who pretends to be really, really pure and really, really caring and really, really Christian and turns out to be a total bod and a total lech. Accusing other people of being that when they are actually, even in their free, free form and, and free loving ways are much more Christian, much more caring and much more loving than the person who pretends to be Christian. Um, and so I, I, that was the first one that was drawn to me, to, uh, that I was drawn to. And then, and so I always start with what is it that needs to be said, needs to be heard. Um, I, I do wish we always had the best actors all the time to work on every show, especially on the Shakespeare, because they are, they do have a special challenge to them. Um, but I've always been appreciated the work that's, uh, that um, the people bring to it. Um, but that's where I start is where, what's in the audience and what do, what do they need to hear? What do they need to see? What do they need to be reminded of? And then, and then we go from there. I'll, I'll start by explaining that to the cast, but as, as, uh, as Jess just said too, is it's, it's really important to allow a cast to experiment. I have an idea of what that ideal production is, but I'm also a collaborator. So I have to be open to the surprise that any cast member or any designer or any technician or any, even somebody popping by watching a rehearsal saying, hey, have you ever thought of, you know, guess what? They're the audience of one at that moment. And if they have something to share, then I have something to learn from them. Um, so I, I, I do like the experimentation phase. I do have a clear cut idea of what I want the play to say. And I do try to keep it on track, but I'm always open to a surprise. I'm always open to something coming in that, that I wasn't expecting to see. Yeah, I think for me, and I'll kind of add, you know, maybe a, a fourth approach to it is I think I approach things as, as a designer, as a visual person. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the very first Shakespeare show, actually the very first show I ever directed was Macbeth for Shakespeare Summer Nights. And um, that one I started with this image of a political ad. I wanted on stage to have this big poster image of Macbeth um, and that over the course of the show, that poster would slowly be torn apart. And actually we got permission to have a, a garbage can uh, that they would take the pieces of it and actually light it on fire and toss it in the garbage can. I, I'm surprised we got permission to do it, but it was really cool because we had this like smoking trash can that was visible the whole show. And then Wait, I was producing, was I supposed to get permission to do that? We did get, they, smoking we got permission from police and safety. Oh, we nice. had to have a fire extinguisher, but it was there and we were, we were ready to go. And we actually used smoke bombs at one point too to have colorful smoke billowing. But for me, and I think I, I probably subconsciously jumped back to that experience of watching Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, because for me, it's what can I do to help an audience who might not understand the language, who might not, it, with Shakespeare Summer Nights, especially in those old locations, or at Frontier Park, might catch part of it, but not the whole thing. How can we visually bring them into the story as quickly as possible? and get them to sit and listen and suddenly the language clicks for them even though they might not realize it because they have that visual reinforcement so yeah. you know i did that with macbeth i did that with with king lear for sure um 
whether or not they were successful, you know, is another conversation. But for me, it's always very much of what visual language can I use to help tell a story when people might find the actual language to be a challenge. That's why you and I, I think, make good collaborators on Shakespeare, because you're thinking of it one from basically the complete opposite end. And you're helping me once I get the actors understanding what they're doing, then you're watching that and you're putting a design to it that helps the audience then lock in as well. So then everybody understands what's going on. Um, Cause I am not a visual person. I'm just not good with visuals. I can't, I'm not good at planning them. I'm not, I do triangles a lot. Cause Sean does triangles. <laughs> um, but that's about all I know about visuals. <laughs> so. So how do you all think that your your unique approach then uh, influences the actual end product? You said like you kind of approach it by first saying like, what is this story about? Or what is, what's at the core of this? What are we trying to say to an audience? What yeah. does that approach, taking that approach, get you? Well, I think it gives, I hope it gives me relevance, you know? I, I, and I hope that, that what I see in a show is what other people need to see as well. I will say though, sometimes I pick shows and and I've been the only one who likes it on opening night. I mean, I, I adore the play Arcadia by Tom Stoppard. I think it's one of the smartest, most engaging, most provocative, most, most hysterical, most moving plays ever. And I worked with our cast, our, our Gannon cast, and it was, it was, they, were, they worked so hard on the literary background, the, um, the historical background, landscape architect, architecture to Byron, Byron-esque poetry. And it was all of that layered in in this play. And on opening night, you could hear the audience snoring before intermission. And I was so depressed because I thought, this is a play that is so relevant and it's a Tony Award winner and, a, and it's a, an Olivier Award winner. And it, for the love of God, it's stoppered. For, for the love of God, you know? And yet it just, and the one person who was there was, I'll never forget John Young, who was one of our English professors. And he was on the edge of his seat for the entire play. And afterwards he said, that was just great. And I said, you and me, John, you and me. That's, we're the only two people in area who actually give a crap about this play. I think we've all been there though. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't directed as much, so I don't know if people like my stuff. I also don't really lock in on the conversation <laughs> after. Even the stuff that I've I've questioned, I've always appreciated. Even if I even if I didn't understand the direct, I always understood the direction. Even if I disagreed with the perspective, that's. But I'd rather I'd rather walk out loving something or not liking something because of the work that's been done than walk out and go meh. You know, I, I so much ninety five percent of what I see in town, including some of the stuff I've directed myself. I have to say, I walk out and go meh. You know, and I don't, I don't think, I don't want theater to, I don't want any audience to walk out and say, uh, that's two and a half hours that I, I'll never get back. Or that's two and a half hours that we're, I, I'm okay. I did that. I, I could have stayed home and watched, you know, Schitt's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh God. We can't yeah. talk about it yet. Elena that, hasn't, we can't, cry. Yet. we can't yet. Um, uh, Sean, on that, on that uh, thread, I have to, I have to say the one time. Um, so yeah, I was coming right off the heels of Jesus Christ Superstar and I had to go headfirst into directing Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. This is not a Shakespeare show, but it was the it's first definitely musical. not Shakespeare. It was the first <laughs> musical I'd ever directed. We had a band. It was complicated. There were things everywhere. I thought we had this really badass rock concert kind of loose feeling thing. And I used came to see it at final dress rehearsal and I ran out and at intermission to see you. And I was like, so what do you think? And you were like, it reminds me of Glee. And you said it in such a nice way, but I just like 
my eyes went black and I like went backstage and like yelled at my cast because I had to be in the cast too. I needed one more body and I didn't have it. And I went backstage, so I was already like losing my mind. And I was like, if you wanted to be in Shrek, that's down the street. <laughs> and then we started act two and Matt Fuchs is out there doing a monologue. And I suddenly ran out on stage and I was like, Tony, cut the blackouts. Yeah. They get they get no blackouts. And everyone was looking at me like I lost my mind and I had, what? but it was the boot in the ass that we needed to make it more of a concert and more interesting. Yeah, well, and you know, that was and less the slick. I'll never forget. That was the as I was watching that show, I literally ran out of fingers to put on my face. And I've never that's very few times that that's happened. But you know what? That's a challenging play. But Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson was the real challenge because it there it, it needs this rawness and it's about populism, and there's all sorts of other strange things that happen as a result of it. So, no, I, I appreciated the fact that, I always appreciate the fact that anybody invites me to a dress rehearsal, because I, I'm not, I, I don't know how to edit, because I don't want anybody, I don't, I don't ever want to, my, my, my phrase, me, conspiracy of mediocrity. Yeah. Michael Joyce, my two, one, of the, one of the acting professors in London, said, you Americans are so afraid to tell each other what you really think that all of your work turns out mediocre because you'd rather preserve the relationships than, impre than improve each other's work as creative artists, as, as performing artists. And I, I'll never forget that. You know? And so, so I have a tendency to just, if, if you ask, I'm going to say. And, and, I, and, I don't, and I try to do so in a pastoral way. But at the same time, if I, if I see a spade, I call it a spade. Well, yeah. And like Jess said, I mean, that was exactly what that production needed at that moment was just someone to say, you know what, stop trying to make it pretty. Stop trying so hard. Let loose and let it be what it's supposed to be. Um, Elena, I'm curious. You So now then your approach where you kind of started with maybe movement or with um, some some visual cues or some things of that nature, how do you think that then ultimately plays into the end product of your shows? And particularly um, midsummer that time. Yeah. Uh, well, I think big picture is hard for me. So I definitely, I think of it like, um, almost like 3D printing. That's like the wrong, that's the wrong analogy. But Go this with idea it. of I'm like, curious here. so like, I need to know overall big picture first. I, I don't know if I did that with midsummer so much. I know that eventually as I've gotten older and I keep, I feel like I'm much, I do more directing than I do acting anymore. But I feel like I'm not good at big picture. I want there to be a big picture, an arc. So we're gonna work with like big brush strokes first and then whittle it down as you go. Um, and I think that's where that ensemble stuff comes from. I think most of my productions are ensemble things. Um, I don't, even, even my, the one man show I directed was kind of an ensemble piece because he played so many characters. Yeah, but, so I think what you get when I direct, uh, you'll get a tight group of people who can trust each other to be organic on stage because they've gone through and done all the work ahead of time. Um, I think that some folks might think that I over-rehearse, but I don't think that's a thing. Um, I know that, but I do ask a lot of people who tend to be volunteers. Uh, but you know, if I'm teaching as a, you know, with students, I, you know, I definitely see the benefit of them doing that and committing to that and taking the time to do that. If it's with the Shakespeare actors, I still think they get something out of it. Um, but I have had 
people come up to me and say, oh, you got to let me know when you're directing something. I hear you're a workhorse or oh, I really want to work with you, but I don't have the time to do a kind of show you do. And I'm like, I do normal shows that everyone does, but I do, uh, I think because of all the ensemble based stuff and movement and external stuff, you get a solid group. You get a solid ensemble every time. Yeah. I think from, uh, for me, what, you know, my approach being more of a starting with the visuals, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't if, and it doesn't work if you don't first and foremost have a clear idea of what it is in the text that, that is important and that you want to focus on and that what, what you're trying to say, you know, I think Macbeth was a piece that I understood. I mean, everyone spends how, how much time in high school studying it. Um, right. And it was one where I felt like there was a lot of room for us to play and explore. And I was really lucky to have you in that production, Elena, as Lady Macbeth, and to have Chris Watson as Macbeth. And you guys were both just so willing and eager to try things and we could explore stuff. And Sean was in the cast as Duncan. And, and so I had him there as another set of eyes and, and a resource as a first time director. And so I think that was one that I was able to, to pull off because the visuals reinforced the story I was trying to tell. Then the next year I directed As You Like It and I did, first of all, a terrible edit. I, I slaughtered everything that was funny in that show and I left only the <laughs> unfunny That's stuff. Yeah, oh, it, I killed it. I, oh, I it killed was like, it. It was like a Hallmark movie. It was so serious. It was really bad. I... I I came up with this visual Elizabethan emo is what I called it. And I thought it looked cool, but it didn't do a damn thing to make the story clearer. Or like I said, I cut the funny out of a Shakespeare comedy. And the, you know, once you cut the funny, <laughs> there's not much you can do to fix it. Right. No. So, and then I think, you know, with Jess's help, I was able to rebound with King Lear because she Aww. approached the edit and we talked thematically about, okay, I see this as, and I don't remember, I think she might have initially put the circus um, idea in my head, but once that was there and she did an edit that was in support of it, and I was able to say, okay, the world that this show takes place in is a three-ring circus, and let's go with that, and let's let's use that to serve the story, not to fight the story, and again, it comes down to having great actors and actors who are willing to go along with that conceit. Um, we had an actor audition. Um, Sean, you were a young Lear, right? You were, you were pretty young. young for the role. We had an actor who was older who auditioned for it and who could have done it. But I told him what I had in mind for the vision for the show. And he very respectfully said, you know, I, I don't think that's the Lear I want to play. I don't think I want to be a part of that and you know I applaud him for saying that because to turn down King Lear I think takes a certain amount of chutzpah or or my production just was so not what he wanted to do but he told me and I appreciate that yeah and, and, and I think that was again that was an excellent collaboration Jess was right the two of you when you work together when she provides the words and you provide the imagery it's so easy for us as actors to step into those worlds you know yeah. it's it, it, it is such a, it's, it's actually, um, it, it's a relief to walk into that environment knowing that the director and the text and the designer, the, the dramaturg, everybody knows where we're going. And, 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 and especially with Shakespeare, you really want the production team, the, the artistic team to have a strong feeling about what the show is. Right. And where we're going. 
So I'm interested to hear, we've all obviously directed and seen each other's work. So I wonder if we might, um, you know, take the gloves off and talk a little bit about each other's work and kind Aww. of the, the maybe brush strokes or the hallmarks that you see in each other's directing, um, particularly Shakespeare, obviously. Only if I can start with, you know, your problem is... Please do. <laughs> well, can I jump in there as a as somebody who who has taught two of you how to direct and 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 maybe hopefully and Elena was there too. In some capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love the physicality and the active focus that Elena brings. I love the visual and the design elements that Zach brings, and I love the text and language that that Jessica brings. And so, as somebody who has worked with each of you, I, I have to say that. Those, and I don't want to say that those are your only strengths because you also then speak other languages. I mean, Elena does speak the language of visual and loves text. And, and Jess, you do love the look of something and you also ha- appreciate how to talk to actors as somebody who's been directed by you. And Zach, you are more than just a visual director. You are also very conscious of the collaborative efforts of, the, of everybody involved in the production. So I have to say that I, I think that while we might have our lead, those are those are definitely the, the strengths I think that, that each one of you have. Well, thank you. That's very nice to hear. No, you know what's interesting is I think that I think that part of I, and then this is me projecting, but I think part of all of our struggles and challenges um, has to do with when when to let go of ego and when to and then also when to let go of the the vampire. You know what I mean? I think sometimes we get very focused on those things that we absolutely love about our own work. Uh, and then we don't know how to let go of that one thing. But I also think that we're, we, we do um, do ourselves a great disservice when we think that we don't know something when we clearly do. Um, I have a tendency sometimes to look at a glass that is one sixteenth full and think of it as one sixteenth full. And then I look at a glass that is five, 15 sixteenths empty and I look at what's missing. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that one of my struggles is something I see in each one of you too, is, is that you, you, sometimes we see the gaps and we focus so much on the gaps, or sometimes we see what little is there and we think that there's a lot there. Um, as an act, in my actor training, I got a lot of notes about my, in a, my reluctance to trust the audience almost to get a joke. Like, it's like, uh, da, 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 da. and another thing, like I don't wait for the end of the beat to let there be a laugh, I push through. Mm. And I think I do that as a director too. I think I push um, my tempo a lot. And I think all three of you have such good tempo. You all, you all are not afraid to lean into the moments, um, whether they be like a, a visual moment or just lean into uncomfortable parts of the text or even parts where I, it, I'll watch it and I'll feel like I'm uncomfortable. And then, and, I'm, and I'll say something and I've done it to all three of you and all three of you have been like, yeah, that's the point. I'm like, oh, that's so, <laughs> you all can do that in a way it's purposeful and it's subtle. Whereas I think I'm a bit ham handed with that stuff where I'm like, they should feel so uncomfortable now. And you, all three of you would be like, stop adding. They they know. Hey, to your credit, Elena, I have sat through many of your performances <laughs> feeling very uncomfortable. So. Oh, that's so sweet of you. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah, you know but what I, think, I and I, and I, some, yeah. 
I, I want to say this about Elena's too. I, I, I sometimes joke about the the non-textual things that you add to the productions, but they really are wonderful because mm. they 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 help to set a stage. They help to set the the mo the mo the mood uh, for the piece. And so so why why I might you know kind of poke you for your dumb shows because because they're not sometimes but I they're not do. dumb they're we actually they actually really help put your dumb shows away it's <laughs> <laughs> company the dumb shows and the masks i know i've teased you ruthlessly for but and now look at the world it's all a dumb show and we all need to wear a mask um <laughs> no i have to like i mean from my perspective first of all i have to give credit where it's due and be fully upfront as i try to be with every cast i work with that i am not trained in theater like i'm not i i'm trained in like the friggin like i learn at the feet of people smarter than me like i know what i don't know and i try to pick up good habits and you know realize what bad habits are and not carry those um but i'm not the same as all three of you that have at least one if not the terminal degree in your field what i know how to do as a director frankly from this particular triad of people i've picked up probably 95 percent of my good habits and it's because i've you know I've, I've i've learned from you not the bad parts i mean i do think you learn just as much working with people that rub you the wrong way sometimes if you can be mm. critical and be like am I, am I the broken wheel here or is that a habit i don't like and i'm never going to do that to my actors but I will say, um, unique to all of you, uh, Sean, I always appreciate, you were the first director, I think, that ever directed me that was the kind of director that said, I'm going to get out of the way, and then I'm going to come in and kind of like, turn, like, herd the sheep toward, I know where we're going to end up, but I'm just going to get out of the way for a while. I had always had like the kind of director who would kind of come in and been like, okay, this is a musical, so here's your blocking, here's your choreography, here's exactly how I want like a line read. So Sean, you get out of the way of your actors, which is something I've never experienced before, so I really like. And you know, then the wisdom comes in to the like, but you can't stay out of the way. You got to know when to be like, okay, this is going, either this is going in an unexpected direction, but I'm okay with it, let's see where this goes, or we're getting a little bit too too far off. I'm gonna need to, we need to steer the car back just a little bit. And then Elena, I really appreciate your ability to, you can work with actors the way that like, it's like almost a complete, like the other side of the coin for Sean. Like if Sean is all about like, I'm gonna see what happens at first. You have an ability to almost like, Within minutes of meeting somebody, you know exactly how to talk to them as an actor, which takes so long to figure out. Because like everybody needs to be talked to a little bit differently. Like you can't you can't effectively direct me the same way that somebody could direct you, Elena. I mean, I don't know what you do. You can't talk to me about Laban and be like, yeah, so it's flick. I don't know what the hell that one. I know what it means because of you. But you like you can't just talk to me that way and expect me to be able to take that and just do something with it. So your ability to like instantly kind of clock what people need to hear, I find refreshing because that's I always feel like I'm trying to strike that balance between like I err more toward the side of Sean of like I I'm not 
people, I'm directing people with way longer experience, if not degrees in this stuff, like I'm getting out of the way. But then at the same time, I'm like, that's not fair all the time. And I know I've let certain actors down and I've gotten like C to B level work out of some people that I think had more potential, but I didn't, I didn't come down on them or I didn't pull them aside and go, what do you need me to talk to you? Like, what do we need to work on? together like I'm not giving you the pieces that you need but I'm just sitting here pissed off that you're not finishing the puzzle but we're both just mad at each other and I'm the only one with the power dynamic to kind of fix this and I didn't do it and Elena I think you managed to do that in such a disarming way too where you don't make actors feel like they're incompetent or they don't know what they're doing but you're able to kind of get in there with a precision and it's literal, like you literally get down into the trench. You're not like leaning over them going, you're doing that wrong. And I think what makes that work is you do it from day one, from rehearsal one, you know? And so I, but I really appreciate, that's so funny because I think of that as a weakness that I like, someone will ask me a question and then I said, you Sean, who said like, you need to like start at the back of the room and walk to the front. By the time you get to the front, you'll have an answer. Oh, that was Ann, uh, Ann Bogart. She said, if, if an actor asks, you a question and you don't have an answer you stand up from wherever you're seated you walk to the front of the stage and by the time you get to the stage you better have an answer it doesn't have to be the perfect answer and it doesn't have to be the answer you live with but you've got to have an answer for every yeah. question that's why that sean answer. always sits in the back now yeah. i get it <laughs> give yourself more time yeah I think, I think maybe back when you first came back from grad school elena like maybe you had a tendency to get down there a little bit too quick with everybody but now I think you've gotten good at telling who does and doesn't need you. And you don't hesitate hmm. with the people that do need you. And that makes it go much smoother from the get-go because like you immediately, like it's, it's, it's almost like that intuitive, like within minutes of meeting them, like you've picked up on what their insecurities are as a performer. And you're either like, you now I think have a very good balance between like, I'm not gonna bother micromanaging that one this one's going to struggle. If I try to do the sink or swim, they're going to sink like a stone. Zach, what about you? Your, your own answer to your question, or you're not going to answer it? You're just uh, going to make About you it. guys. No, I'd love to talk about the three of you as directors. Yeah. Oh, no, good. I like it when people talk about me. Uh, and I'll start with you, since you were the first of the group to direct me. I think, and I think we've talked a little bit about this already, but you do such a great job of making shows visually interesting in a way that serves the story and doesn't feel artificial. Like uh, one of my favorite things to do after a show that you direct, Jess and I did it when you directed Nevermore at Gannon. And then I was able to recently watch the archive video of our production of Nevermore that we just did. And in both productions, first of all, triangles man i don't know how you find as many triangles as you do but you do and you don't even know you're in them until you're watching the video back and you're like son of a bitch <laughs> and that was the thing about watching the tape of nevermore was to see these mm. these pictures that you created that that um that do serve the story but they don't feel like family portrait stand in this pose for this sequence kind of a thing. It's organic and it's natural and it moves the, the scene and the action from one moment to the next. Um, so that's something that I've, I've tried, I'll straight up admit to, I've tried to emulate that as a director to, to have that you know, framework of this is the visual that I wanna create, 
and how does the scene move us there and then recognizing you know what the scene doesn't move us there and i'm trying to force a visual on it that just doesn't work so let's find a better answer um so i've always appreciated your ability to really find ways to make make productions look visually interesting but to do it in ways that that serve the plot that move the action forward or that that set up the the power dynamics of the scene whatever it might be uh jess i'll go to you next i you know obviously you approach things from a text first standpoint and you talked about it with actors but i think the same is true with directors if you go into rehearsal not understanding the material you're gonna struggle every single day and i've i've seen you know as a producer now at drama shop for the past nine years i've seen those moments where actors or where directors are struggling and more often than not, it's because either they don't understand, literally understand the scene, or they don't understand the point of it. Um, they don't understand how it serves the overall plot or the character development. And so I think, you know, your biggest strength as a director is that you make sure you have those questions answered before you even go into auditions and, and that you understand what it is that you're trying to say with that text from day one. Because again, if you don't, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be an uphill climb. And so you're going to leave rehearsals going, what am I doing wrong? What's missing? That's born of the luxury, too, of the fact that I've been able to do my own edits. Um, that has a lot, especially when we're talking Shakespeare, that has a lot to do with, I do have, I know why certain beats are still there. I know why things have been cut. And Elena, you know, I think the thing that <laughs> I... We do tease you a lot, but I would say the last thing that I would, would say you are at this point in your career is I do not think that you are a gimmicky director. And we kind of tease you for mm -hmm. having a, a set of gimmicks, but I don't think that's what they are at all. I'm growing up. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the thing, though? Like, we've said this before. We said this when we had a conversation with the Reasons to be Pretty cast. We, as as artists do work so that we can become better artists, right? I mean, so hopefully- Twice this season, I wasn't gonna do it. <laughs> Twice, one time Sean was like, I was during Almost Maine, and Sean's like, well, what are you gonna do for the dumb show? And I'm like, what dumb show? <laughs> He's like, oh my God, Elena, please don't make me say it. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I'm gonna, I will, oh God, I, I never see it. But this one, oh God, I think you need it. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I had to do one and I'm huh. And I wasn't prepared at all. It was like the last possible chance to do one. And then um, for the wolves, I wasn't gonna do one. And uh, the guy, it was Nico, Nico was doing the sound and he's like, well, what do you want for the dumb show? Like there isn't, he's like, um, maybe I'll just make some in case. <laughs> The first time I was ever in a show that started with a dumb show, Sean Clerken directed it. And I don't remember what oh, show dear. it was. I, I learned it from you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for Much Ado About Shakespeare Part 2. Coming up in the final installment, our panel of experts talk about some of their own weaknesses when it comes to directing Shakespeare and directing in general. Plus, they tackle the big question, why are we still doing Shakespeare at all? Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can find our complete library of episodes. Shop Talk, the official Drama Shop podcast, is produced by me, Nicole Lossie, and sponsored by Gannon University Schuster Theatre. As always, thank you for supporting Drama Shop Theatre in Process.